Seven minutes after 11 o'clock. Uh, before I get Mike Murphy on board here, he has uh, stepped into the studio. Uh, before I bring him on board, I got a message on uh, government education from a guy named Brian. And I responded uh, with an email, but apparently he gave me a, a, a fake email address or something because it, it just bounced back. But he wrote to me on this uh, education question. Is your argument about not having public education because you didn't have children is ignorant. For someone who claims to understand economics, you sure pick and choose when you want to understand. Do you think it's morally just to tax people who have children? Especially what you are arguing. You want benefits of everyone else populating. I don't know what the hell that means. With no burden on you. Populating keeps the society. I mean, this guy's... Clearly, he's lost. I did send him a response. Like I said, it was a fake email address, so it bounced back. But what I simply said was, uh, clearly, Brian, you're the victim of a government education. If you were taught how to think and not what to think, you would see the major flaws in your argument. No one should pay a tax to educate. Free market will provide the tools to educate your children at a fraction of the cost. And it'll be a lot more effective. All right, that's uh, that's my response to him. It's it's too bad he, he gave me a fake email address. Anyway, uh, let's move on because Como Buzz with one Z, ComoBuzz.com. Mike Murphy in the studio with me right now, and uh, the chief of police hunt is on. There are four candidates. I read about them. Only one of them, uh, I think, is qualified, and that's Jill Schlute. Uh, and I argue that's because she knows the Columbia Police Department. She knows the city of Columbia. She knows the uh, the uh, things that have, they've the tried that didn't work and, and did work. Uh, she certainly has an educational background that covers this. She's served in positions of power in the Columbia Police Department. Why she'd want the job, I don't know. But I think she is the most qualified. Mike Murphy, however, has more information on the candidates more than the city is giving us. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Gary. I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, Jill's an excellent candidate. She served the city well. She also represents, though, the status quo. And there's a lot of people. I shouldn't say a lot of people. There's a loudness. Uh, there's a lot of noise, and there has been for a long time, that the Columbia Police Department needs to undergo transformational change. And Jill is not the type of candidate who's going to bring transform formational change transform, however transform them from what uh, from an old-fashioned uh, uh, police department that has operated much the same way for a long time to a modern day 21st century enlightened department there's more attuned to uh, race relations and community policing and how policing should be done going forward Columbia that's police. that's the narrative now remember, yeah. this is a progressive. This is progressive thought, but that is the pull of all of our city council members, and our city council has already voted uh, unanimously in the past to implement this sort of community policing thought. And their frustration with the department, including um, former Chief Jeff Jones, is that he couldn't get this implemented fast enough for a lot of reasons. So uh, now that we have an opening, the people who are really, really behind this type of uh, transformational shift are pushing it. Uh, we have a candidate, at least one among the four, who's been doing this for much of his career, especially late in his career here. In fact, he's an aggressive reformer, and the fact that he shows up as a finalist here is really, really changed, uh, you know, uh, 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 grabbed people's attention. So, so his name is 
Uh, Nathaniel Clark, he's 63 years old. He spent most of his career in Pine Bluff, which is a nasty little town, a uh, very poor town south of Little Rock in Arkansas. But then after 30 years there, he became, he became the, the uh, police chief there. He lasted two years. He got fired in some kind of uh, uh, sexual discrimination suit. Then he sued. He won, actually, uh, won a judgment, ended up being the uh, police chief in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Fort Smith, Arkansas, had uh, two black police officers out of uh, 140 officers. Of course, he's the first black police chief at every place where he goes. Um, About 30 officers, according to news reports, quit after he was hired. He lasted there two years and ended up in a a place in suburban Atlanta uh, called Forest Park. He lasted there two years and exited amid, uh, uh, he did a bunch of audits and uh, 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 did a bunch of investigation into what looks like, and he, he, this is very well could be justified, it looks like a mess, but the bottom line is, is the city council turned on him and he ended up suing them for, uh, he's, they're in federal court now, he sued them for uh, discrimination and wrongful discharge, and he's got some whistleblower protection, and, and uh, he sued one of the council members for slander, so anyway... That's all uh, going on, and then just here a month ago, he was a finalist for the police chief's job in Ann Arbor, one of four finalists in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a a Big Ten, a University of Michigan town about the same size as Columbia, and uh, uh, the city manager there, they just decided to not hire any of their four finalists, and they restarted their search. So he's coming off of all that, and he'll be rolling into town next week, and he's kind of the darling of the uh, reformers who basically want to see the Columbia Police Department uh, blown up and start over and, and, and get this transformational shift underway. A guy who's so litigious that he's suing everybody he's worked for, who has a work history of two years and then gone, they want to bring into the city of Columbia? The fact that he's one of four finalists here, I think, is fascinating. This decision re- it rests 100%, which people don't realize, with the city manager. This is not a city council decision or anybody else. This is 100% the call of the city manager. He's... Uh, uh, involving a lot of people, advising him, I'm sure. But this is his call. So what we're going to find out is, does he believe that the uh, Columbia Police Department needs transformational change or not? And we will see this now in the next couple of weeks as he makes a decision on who he's going to hire. The other three candidates, okay, Jill is the internal candidate and very much, I think, very respected. And I, th- there's going to be way more people if you were just count up people arguing for her and what she represents. But I'm not sure how loud their voices are or what the city manager, if he believes we should continue uh, with kind of a steady status quo or if he wants change. One of the candidates is a uh, is from Wyo- uh, Colorado. He's about the same age as Schlute, about the same place in his career. The only difference between them is uh, he's he's a man, she's a woman. I don't, I don't see it. I'm not really sure why he's a finalist. The fourth one, though, is very interesting. He's a, uh, a uh, black career officer with the Kansas City Police Department, a major who has an illustrious career. He's highly educated. He's an attorney. He's uh, worked his way up. Um, he's a bazoo grad. And I think he's probably, actually, if I was making odds, I think he's who ends up getting hired. I have no inside information. It's just that I can't imagine the uh, city manager going all the way to the uh, revolutionary side with this, this other guy. I, I have a hard time seeing him sticking with status quo also, and I see this uh, Haley as a fallback. But that's just talking and procrastinating uh, uh, in, on, uh, on uh, how everybody's just kind of chatting about it. 
we really have no idea, but that's how they all kind of shake out when you look at what they've done, where they've been, and, and, and uh, what they've been up to compared to just the press release that comes out of the city, which just lists their jobs. I, I got to tell you, um, I know a lot of police officers in Columbia, uh, uh, detectives and, and uh, guys on SWAT and, and all these. I have a great deal of respect for them. I, I think they do a hell of a job. Yeah, I, I think most people do. I think that if uh, if you wanted to pursue the argument, I think that there's uh, uh, there is a contingent of folks that do think some leadership change is needed, some uh, faster reform at the upper end. There's a lot of entrenched guys don't have to agree with that. If the city manager agrees with that, I think that's what's going to influence this decision. I think that's what we're going to see. If he if he makes a certain move, we're probably going to see the same type of turnover that they saw in Fort Smith. And it's going to, you know, turn our police department upside down. So that's what makes this really interesting and fascinating, really, because in the next couple of weeks here, we're going to see a very, very major decision get made in Columbia that's going to impact our future, probably, or it could for sure for a long time. <sighs> I just, just, I'm, I just, I am so sure that she is right for the job. And they would, they would be able to say, look how progressive we are. We have a, a woman as a police chief. They think the other side, the, the, the reason she might not or wouldn't get it for that reason is the activists who really want to see this transformational shift don't believe she has the skill sh- set having grown up in the Columbia Police Department working basically for the white men who they feel it needs to be where the transformation needs to take place as opposed to this guy who comes in with uh, having blown up three or four other departments and and develop the type of fighter mentality to come in and make this all happen. There are people with influence and loud voices who want to see that happen. And that's also why I keep saying fascinating because we really don't know where the city manager is on this, but we're going too soon. Contact the city manager. <laughs> Tell them, Jill. Uh, all right, uh, very briefly, because I'm, I'm running late and Dave Rowland is waiting in the wings. Uh, over at Como Buzz with one Z, ComoBuzz.com. What's going on? Fall events and activities. Uh, what's coming up? Anything good? No, all kinds of them. I think the biggest thing this weekend is everybody loves this log boat brewing. The, the three owners are, are very popular guys in the community. It's become sort of like this landmark. They did this major, major uh, expansion, and they're going to make a lot more beer, but they've also greatly improved this ground. It's almost like it was a park before. Now it's just, just just huge, beautiful place, and they're having a grand reopening on Saturday afternoon. That's kind of a big thing. It was a park? They made it. It wasn't a park. They made it park-like. They had a lot of oh. grass. They had a lot of green space. They still oh. do. They, they built they, a big deck. They built an outside they bar. No, no, no. They can't do that. Only the government can make parks. So they went through. That's a whole story, what they went through in the city of Columbia to get the, get the permitting done and all the, all the work that they had to do to get this thing built and done. That's all a year, two years old now. But it's all coming to fruition, and it's really, really quite a place. Como Buzz with one Z, ComoBuzz.com. Mike Murphy in on the know. Mike, thank you for being with thank us. Thank you, Gary. All right, Dave Rowland, right way and a wrong way to file a lawsuit. Talking about a powerful Democrat. We'll kind of kick that around with him next on the Gary Nolan Show. Think Tank Thursday, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 1122. Glad to have you with us. And uh, Brian, I've, I've been looking over some numbers here, and I think Dave Rowland has spent more time on the air on this show than I have in the last week. <laughs> I think you're correct. <laughs> I think so. All right. 
Uh, he is the uh, attorney that loves to sue the government to protect your freedom. He is Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm looking at this uh, right way to file a lawsuit in the wrong way. And you say that uh, this uh, candidate for attorney general, Democrat uh, Ilid Gross, chose the wrong way. Yeah, and, and let me preface this by saying that, that I know a lot, and I, I think he's generally a good guy. We're certainly going to have you know, some political differences, but um, he's very good on the Sunshine Law. And he filed a Sunshine Law case against the city of St. Louis, uh, but he just got what attorneys refer to as a bench slap. So um, when when a judge is sitting in their courtroom, they are referred to as being on the bench. And so if a judge issues an opinion uh, that harshly criticizes one of the attorneys that has been in front of them, that is what constitutes a bench slap. And man, Eli got one yesterday. He, several months ago, filed a 273-page lawsuit, um, and it was alleging a whole number of um, various violations against the city of St. Louis for their, I think, very plainly flawed responses to Sunshine Law requests. Um, but the city came back at him and filed a countersuit uh, saying that his lawsuit was nothing more than a publicity stunt, and they asked the court to award them $25,000. They were asking the attorney for the plaintiff to pay the city $25,000 uh, as a result of filing this lawsuit. Now, I don't think the city's position was correct as far as asking him to pay money for this because there's a little case called Roland versus St. Louis City Board of Election Commissioners that establishes that the government doesn't get to recover costs or penalties against the plaintiff in a Sunshine Law case. Um, we established that pretty firmly with my case, and so I don't think they had any basis for asking the court to force him to pay $25,000. However, when it comes to the substance of the petition that he filed, uh, the judge did uh, kind of go to town on him. He said <clears throat> that uh, Elad, quote, piecemealed the uh, allegations to inflate the civil penalties permitted under the statute. And he said that Gross inflated the font size and line spacing. And that constituted what the judge said, quote, purposeful mocking of the court rules on style and brevity. Uh, the judge really, really uh went to town on Elod for this. He even called the deficiencies inexcusable and that they constituted legal ramblings. Now, again, this is a guy that, that I have a, a, you know, decent acquaintance with, but, um, these are not things you want to hear from someone who is running for the office of attorney general. Um, and, and so I think that the judge has given him an opportunity to go back and refile this case and to cure some of the deficiencies that um, the judge noted in this 
petition, but uh, it, it's it's kind of a rough look for for Awad, and and I I wish he had thought more carefully before filing this particular lawsuit, at least in the way that he filed it. I'm hopeful he's going to fix the problems with it and then come back and be able to pursue his what I think are probably very legitimate complaints about how the city of St. Louis has gone about handling public records requests. Got a message from Arnie. He said uh, at 11 o'clock in the 11 o'clock hour with Dave Rowland, what is the status of the Katie Gatewood case in federal court? Has Rowland appealed to the United States Supreme Court over the decision of the appeals court on bunk? Uh, or is the issue a closed case and no further actions will be taken? We did ask the Eighth Circuit to reconsider the opinion either as a panel or on banc. They declined. Uh, they said they would not reconsider. Uh, we then had the option of asking the U.S. Supreme Court to take the case. Um, however, given the way that the, the Eighth Circuit decided the case, um, we ended up feeling like the likelihood of the Supreme Court accepting it was unusually low. Um, and because it takes a lot of resources to submit a case to the U.S. Supreme Court, we ultimately decided that that would not be a wise use of the Freedom Center's resources. And as you know, Gary, we have limited resources and we're trying to help people all over the state. And so sometimes we have to make those decisions, even when we believe that someone has been wronged, even when we believe that a court has gotten something wrong. Um, there are times when the likelihood of, of prevailing um, just wouldn't justify the expense. Um, we, we need to use our resources on cases where we've got a higher likelihood of, of doing good and, and winning some victories. Uh, and Katie Gatewood is the uh, uh, city council member? She was a city council member, and uh, she actually, we're going to touch on this with, with one of the other stories that I sent you today. Uh, what happened is, is several of her colleagues decided they were going to remove her from office, and they trumped up absolutely ridiculous basis for doing so, fully knowing that they intended to get rid of her. Um, and several of them said as much in public statements. Uh, so they had charged her with violating a city ordinance and with saying things that were untrue. And then they publicly said, oh, yeah, she definitely violated the city ordinance. She was definitely lying to people. Well, that's what we call prejudging a case. And the due process clause of the U.S. Constitution says that if you have made these sorts of public statements, you are not supposed to then sit in judgment uh, of, of a case that comes in front of you. And so we raised these issues with the Eighth Circuit. Um, they ended up saying that we should have appealed into state courts. Now, there are reasons that we didn't, because Missouri state courts have been really bad on this issue. Uh, they have established a different and lower standard than federal courts apply when it comes right, to so, due process. So in short, they didn't, they didn't suggest your argument was bad. It was the venue they questioned. That is exactly correct, yes. All right. Um, there was a piece, by the way, in Reason Magazine about Houston uh, not letting uh, generous, kind people feed the poor. And uh, they talked about St. Louis and Kansas City. And I remember that you were involved in protecting those uh, generous folks in St. Louis. 
Uh, we might want to refresh on that. And very quickly, uh, Arnie asked about my wife, uh, and she is uh, getting a little bit stronger every day, but she's got a long way to go, uh, and uh, she is a fighter. So I have uh, great hope that she will she will prevail. It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is 1135 on a Think Tank Thursday, and Dave Rowland is with us. He's the attorney that loves to sue the government to protect your freedom. MoFreedom.org. Or .com. MoFreedom.com. Sorry. No, org. org. Is it is an org? Why did I? Yeah. Okay, it's a, it's a Biden moment. I'm allowed to have those. Uh, <laughs> the President of the United States can have it. A lowly talk show host can too. Not near old enough. <laughs> uh, yes, he is. Oh, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you <laughs> no jumping problem, in there, pal. I'm here to help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got an opening for producer here. Uh, in July, Philip Picone, a Houston activist, stood before a jury of his peers charged with the heinous crime of feeding the needy. One of several activists affiliated with Food Not Bombs, a volunteer group with chapters all around the world. Houston police have repeatedly cited him uh, for giving food to homeless people who are hungry. And they say it's a health issue. Uh, and they cite in this story at Reason uh, that it has happened here in Missouri, and it did in Kansas City and St. Louis. And uh, you went to battle, uh, you went to fight this. Uh, I, I know you did in Kansas, or I'm sorry, in St. Louis. Were you involved mm -hmm. in this Kansas City part two? I was, yes. Um, so in Kansas City, we ended up not having to file a lawsuit. Um, I went and uh, reviewed all of the public records surrounding their situation, let them know that they were going to get sued if they continued to enforce the policy, and they backed off. And so Food Not Bombs, or rather, uh, Free Hot Soup, Kansas City is the name of the group over there, um, they are still delivering food to hungry people in Kansas City today uh, because we got the city to back off over there. In St. Louis, uh, the city would not back off, and we ended up uh, getting a mixed judgment from the Eighth Circuit. They ended up saying that Although St. Louis law as written would sure seem to prohibit uh, what our clients were doing, that they were, in fact, allowed to provide some types of food to uh, the homeless, uh, just not other types of food. And because they were allowed to provide some food that the court didn't need to address the other claims. So, um, yeah, mixed result there. The Houston case, they are basically following our playbook. They're, they're using the same arguments that we used. I am hopeful that the Fifth Circuit is going to directly address the issues that the Eighth Circuit tried to skirt around in our case. Um, and uh, there's also a case over in California right now raising very similar claims. Um, theirs is a little bit different because it involves being able to provide food on the church's own property. Um, and so it gets into a land use question, whereas our issues were more strictly free exercise of religion and freedom of speech. Um, but th this has been an incredibly hot issue for years now. I've been getting Facebook memories 
for the last couple of weeks of when I helped um, a Native American ministry in Olympia, Washington, uh, preserve its right to feed homeless people on the streets up there. We were successful in that situation as well. So um, really what it boils down to in many of these situations is simply being willing to push back. Uh, That has gotten several cities to back off. Uh, without the need for litigation. But if the city's pushed to litigation, then ultimately we need the courts to resolve it by addressing the issue head on. And I'm hopeful that's what these these cases are going to do. Well, they're hinging their argument on this being a health uh, issue, protecting the health. So can you tell me, uh, all of these organizations all over the country, and in fact all over the world, how many people have been poisoned as the result oh, of... <laughs> Very, very few. So so this was actually really interesting um, because we introduced a lot of evidence about this. Uh, the kinds of foods that the city said you can provide without a permit include uh, uncut vegetables and fruits and uh, certain other kinds of prepackaged food. Uh, and in the meantime, you could also provide food if it had been purchased from a grocery store or a um, uh, it purchased prepared by a grocery store or a restaurant. And we were able to point out that of the types of food that tend to generate foodborne illnesses, fruits and vegetables are way up high on the list. And we also (laughs) pointed out that of all the reported cases of foodborne illness, the vast majority of them are coming from restaurants and grocery stores where the food is prepared. You know where it's not coming from? Church kitchens, church kitchens that, you know, are, are out there uh, every week providing food to people. You almost never see complaints about foodborne illness coming from food provided from these locations. We introduced all of this evidence and the Eighth Circuit just kind of brushed it off by saying, well, you're allowed to provide certain types of food and that should be sufficient for you. Um, so I was, I was really frustrated by that outcome. I was not at all happy with it, but, um, ultimately our guys were still able to go out there and help people. And that's the most important thing. Hopefully the courts will, will be able to address this in some of these other cases that are working their way up through the system. And the, the, the hubris that Kansas city, uh, displayed by pouring bleach on their food so it could oh, yeah. be consumed. And, well, and, and let's, me. let's clarify the food that they, that was at issue there was food that had been provided from a barbecue contest. So there was a a large regional barbecue contest that was being held in the Kansas City area. They had tons of food left over, and their solution was instead of just dumping this food, we're going to go and provide it to the homeless, and the city came and bleached it so that it couldn't be eaten at all. They they then later bleached the food that um, Free Hot Soup was trying to provide as well. So that was kind of their their standard approach when they encountered people trying to help people in need was let's make sure that nobody could ever eat this. And they never they never evaluated whether it was actually dangerous. They never tested the temperature of the food. They never did anything like that. All they did was say, We haven't, you know, formally approved this in advance, therefore we're going to assume that it's dangerous and we're gonna destroy it. Absolutely appalling. It just makes me absolutely, it makes me crazy. It should, yes. Um, and, and, and I remember a story in Arkansas, uh, not directly related to this, but but the same, uh, the same methodology. There were some people who wanted to drink unpasteurized milk. Whatever yeah. floats your boat. I, 
I'd just as soon you get the cooties out of there myself. But if you wanted it, I, I think you should be allowed to have it. And they would send somebody across the state line to another state where they could buy it and then bring it back to Arkansas. So, and then they have to meet out in the middle of the country. It's like, uh, it's like uh, prohibition and they're bringing whiskey in from Canada. So they, they bring this unpasteurized milk and they're starting to separate it and suddenly law enforcement surround them uh, and they pour all of that milk that this person purchased on the ground uh, and, and get rid of it and, and, and uh, just put bleach on the cheese. Um, it, it, it's like it was somehow the government's job to stop them from enjoying what they wanted. Made me crazy. I don't know. Just insane. Uh, so you uh, had a little conversation with some journalists about getting stonewalled on records requests. And you've been working on uh, several cases along these lines. Give me some details. What happened? So this is a situation we've talked about before where the Missouri Attorney General's Office inherited um, a, a pretty significant backlog of Sunshine Law requests when Eric Schmidt was elected as U.S. Senator and Andrew Bailey took the office over. There were more than 200 uh, outstanding Sunshine Law requests when Schmidt left office. And... So people have continued to submit these requests to Bailey's office, and they've been getting told, um, well, we're not going to have any responses for you before the end of the year. And then they started saying, we're not going to have any responses until the middle of next year. And it's just completely ridiculous, especially if you're dealing with a very limited, discreet Sunshine Law request that you would have to wait a full year before you could even hope to have a response. Um, some of the media outlets found out that... Um, as of a few months ago, the Attorney General's office had only cleared seven requests over the course of, uh, I think it was eight months at that time. And so the, the, the Missouri Press Association was having a um, panel discussion about the Sunshine Law. They invited me to be one of the speakers. And I pointed out to them that there is an obscure Missouri law that gives every citizen the right to go down to the office where public records are held and to say, I would like to inspect your public records, please. And they are obligated to let you do it. In fact, if they deny you the right to inspect records there at the office, they've committed a misdemeanor. They're subject to removal from office, and they're also potentially on the hook for a $100 fine. So I told the journalists, I said, look, if you're getting... Uh, a response from a public governmental body saying we're not going to provide records until a year down the road tell them you're going to show up at their office on a specific date you're going to bring a hard drive with you and you're going to download every open public record that that office has and you might see their their tune change that's exactly what uh jason hancock at the missouri independent did with the attorney general's office he said okay here are the legal bases for my right to come and inspect these records in person at your office immediately. And the attorney general's office said, you're right, come on down. And so he went down, he was able to look at the Sunshine Law logs that the, rec that the uh, office keeps. He published a story this last week. I encourage people to go and check it out. Um, and he talks about the backlog and the, the reasons for it. Um, 
some of which may be legitimate, others of which may not be legitimate. Yours truly is quoted uh, extensively in the article as well. But that shows the power of transparency and the power of understanding your rights. Um, he was able to get access to those records because he had learned what his rights were and he was willing to assert them. And to the attorney general's credit, they understood their obligation to let him come in and look at those records. I, I do give them credit for that. Wow. By the way, before we go to break, are you in any plays or any anything this week? <laughs> Not this week. We uh, we wrapped up War of the Worlds last week, and it was tremendous fun and very well received by those who got to come see it. So you memorize all of those scripts, all of those plays, and then you have to forget them again. Aren't you afraid you're going to use up the memory cells? You know, they're... <laughs> That's always a risk, but, you know, I, I, I'm willing to take that risk if it means bringing art to people who would enjoy it. All right, when we come back, a St. Louis police detective apparently sabotaged his own case in order to undermine Kim Gardner. Oh? Gary Nolan shows Zimmer Radio Network. Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org, our guest on Think Tank Thursday. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I would recommend uh, MoFreedom.org uh, slash uh, donate uh, because if he comes to your aid, he won't charge you. He relies on donations. Because uh, you, chances are, couldn't afford the costs involved. So... You never know. It might be you the next time. St. Louis police detective sabotaged his own case just to undermine Kim Gardner. What are the details here? So the headline, I think, obscures the real issue here. And the real issue is just the overall level of dysfunction in St. Louis City law enforcement. Um the, the article's title tends to put the blame on the police officer, but there's more to it than that. Uh, so you may recall Kim Gardner, of course, extremely progressive circuit attorney, uh, was elected in the city of St. Louis, and she uh, took a very strong stance saying that she thought that there were a lot of racist elements within the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, and she went so far as to say that she had a list of officers who were so untrustworthy, presumably because she thought they were racist, um, that she would not prosecute the cases that they brought. And so uh, Officer Murphy is one of the uh, one of the officers who was eventually put on her list. But then something funny happened. The prosecuting attorney's office called him up and said that it expected him to testify at a murder trial. That was one of his cases. And he took the position that, look, you've put me on a list saying that I'm not trustworthy because I'm racist. If you call me to testify in this case, then the first thing the defendant's attorney is going to do is they're going to start picking me apart on the stand. They're going to try and prove that I'm racist. They're going to throw in my face that the circuit attorney said these things about me. I'm not going to subject myself to that. And so he refused to testify. Now, he was also quite clear that he believed the defendant in this murder case was guilty as sin. He believed that that who he believed to be a murderer should
should be behind bars, but he was going to refuse to testify even if it meant that the guy walked free. So this has turned into a, a really fascinating story. Um, it just got published a, a day or two ago on the Missouri Independent. I highly encourage people to take a look. It, it is a really intriguing story. Um, but the, the way that I look at this, I think that there is blame all the way around. Um, if if he felt that way about the St. Louis Circuit Attorney and if he felt like he could not in good conscience go and testify at these trials, if he felt like his cases weren't going to be prosecuted, he needed to go find a job somewhere else. Um, because staying in that position wasn't helping the people of St. Louis, right? He might still be able to collect a paycheck, um, but but he wasn't protecting and serving the people of St. Louis if he was pursuing cases that he knew weren't going to be prosecuted and then refusing to testify in cases that were being prosecuted. So I think he's in the wrong. But I also think Kim Gardner was in the wrong because when you vilify the very people that you're relying on to try and prosecute cases, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And by proxy, you're also shooting the safety of the people of St. Louis in the foot. Um, it's just a horrible situation all the way around. I know uh, that uh, they have a new circuit attorney over there. The new circuit attorney also just hired former Missouri Supreme Court Judge George Draper uh, to come and help their office out. And I am hopeful that that will really help to restore um, the law enforcement efforts in the city of St. Louis. I, I hold uh, Judge Draper in extremely high regard, and I think that, that he's going to help put that that whole situation back on the right foot but but it just shows what a terrible situation it had become over there did the defendant walk or is it still pending the defendant walked the defendant was acquitted wow and now can't be tried again what a mess yeah and and he's not the only defendant like that's the most dramatic most remarkable uh, failure that's that's come about because of this, um, but there have been other cases where uh, Officer Murphy refused to testify, where either the prosecution had to be dropped or they had to pursue much lesser plea agreements because they didn't they knew they couldn't count on the testimony to help um, to help convict the guy. So yeah, it, it goes well beyond this one particular case. What an ugly set of circumstances, uh, and the bad guy goes free. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it starts with Kim Gardner. Uh, it, it, hopefully, this you know, addition to the prosecutor's office, uh, that somebody in that office can perhaps clear up this guy's reputation so that he can testify. Maybe to come back and say Kim Gardner was wrong or something. Because he's useless as a law enforcement officer in that county. Yeah, well, and, and part of the problem is, is even if they retroactively try to say, well, Kim Gardner was off base, the fact that she had already put him on that list means any time he gets on the witness stand, um, his character and his, his uh, reputation for truthfulness is going to be under question. Got to run. Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org, slash donate. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem and Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.